0: Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey through the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words, and mispronunciations of names, cities, and more. Great. How are you? I'm fabulous. Fantastic. Great day for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am Allison, and I am Beck, uh, and this is the Your Own Words podcast, the very first. Very first episode. Very first Day episode. one. The first chapter.
1: The first page, if you will. <laughs> the first sentence. Introduction. This is our Jane Austen moment. Oh my god. <laughs> no it pressure. is a truth universally acknowledged that two women in a cold dark room on a sunny day will come out with something. Something great. Great. Yeah. No pressure.
0: <laughs> so we're starting a podcast about books. Yeah. How do we even begin to tell the story of how we reached this point?
1: (sighs) It was a long, long time (laughs) ago. (laughs) How did we get here? How did we meet back? In Starbucks, in King's Cross. We did. We did.
0: I was looking for a new guitarist for my band after going through two guitarists in quite quick succession. Um, I was
1: looking for a band for my guitar.
0: (laughs) It just seemed obvious. Yeah, and then we met in the Starbucks and we got on right away and started talking about our love of 90s (laughs) heroines. Not 90s heroine, but 90s heroines. Heroines. So the PJ Harveys and the Fiona Apples and the
1: Tori Amoses of
0: the world. And so instead of joining my band, (laughs) we started a YouTube channel called Stupid
1: Girls where we sung all of the songs of the heroines. Yes,
0: all um, of the heroine
1: songs. All of the heroine songs. <laughs> but we had loads of fun,
0: and yeah. uh, I still I have watched back our videos recently, and I they make me really, really happy. But then uh, there was a terrible, <laughs> terrible turn of then events. Then
1: the world imploded, yeah, quite so, literally. Yeah, uh, Beck, what what happened to you? My ear blew up mm. at three in the morning One. Cool November day, I believe. <laughs> i just like to set the scene mm. because we're going to go into literature mm-hmm. and I feel like we should begin as literature deserves yeah. with uh, imagination imagery. and intellect. Yeah. Um. My ear blew up. I woke up one morning at like three in the morning with blood pouring out of my ear and, and screaming, which I could hear in my own head, shaking around like that thing in the magic eight ball that decides your life, but never landing on a decision. Anyway... That's how it felt.
0: And while all this was going on, so this happened. We hadn't seen each other. Obviously, she couldn't leave the house. I couldn't talk to her anyway. So we we messaged, but um, you know, we didn't see each other, and obviously we couldn't sing. Um, and then uh, fate took another hilarious <laughs> turn, and I lost my voice. So I had a terrible bout of vocal nodules, um, it's not all cute like it is in Pitch Perfect. It's actually quite <laughs> devastating. So, I lost my, both my speaking voice and my singing voice for a really long time. It's still not fully back to where it once was. And the doctors say it may never get back to where it once was. And I just have to be chill about that. So, long story short, <laughs> um, we both suffered a great deal of. You uh, became
1: uh, muted and deaf. Yeah, you neither of us could speak to me, and I couldn't hear you <laughs> if you could. <laughs>
0: Yeah so needless to say our our musical <laughs> dreams um, singing died <laughs> singing died our musical dreams were put on hiatus and we actually didn't speak to well we didn't not speak to each other we spoke to each other a bit but we didn't see each other for what was it 16 months did Eight, you say yeah wait 18 too long. months it was so really many long months time. and then we started chatting one day, talking oh. about how hard it had been. I and
1: think it was something along the lines of, everything is horrendous, how are you? Yeah, <laughs> like, and it was like, ditty. me too, yeah. <laughs> and
0: somehow we got on the topic of, well, I had, I had started to take solace in reading. So I had, when I lost my voice, I became incredibly depressed and I couldn't even listen to music because it just bummed me out that I couldn't sing along to mm. it and music was everything I'd ever known and everything I'd ever cared about, and that was suddenly gone. And I think we both talked about feeling this kind of loss of identity Mm. where you know yourself as this person that does this thing and suddenly that's just gone in an instant and you have no idea who you are and you're in your 30s like wait yeah. what like now <laughs> who I have to am figure I? This what out what am I doing <laughs> so we both were in that spot and I kind of took a deep dive into sadness and Netflix and lying down a lot and like sleeping shout a lot to Gilmore girls, shout out guys. to Gilmore Girls literally oh my God, five times Not finished series I've watched is it will just get you through It did. But then I thought, like, I need to do something, like, that at least feels more intelligent. (laughs) So um, I started a little, like, reading challenge and just started crazily reading books like just like eating them up and feeling so great about it because I had forgotten I got you know I listened to music all the time I got really into podcasts so I was never reading and then suddenly I was reading again and like I was whipping through books I think I was at like 10 books and it was May and I was like feeling amazing and so I said to Beck you should read and she's yeah. like oh yeah actually I love reading
1: <laughs> and I hadn't read in ages which yeah. is, is nuts because I like everything is reading I both of my degrees were in reading mm-hmm. everything I've ever done is in the pages of a book and then you were like oh, I'm reading and I thought I actually don't know when I last read a book which is nuts for me it's such a my house is full of books mm-hmm. they're everywhere I've literally run out of wool and yet it <laughs> didn't at any point feel like a thing that I was going to do for some reason It's like I'd broken the connection for mm. some reason it's like I got so used to sitting in silence and in hiding in Gilmore Girls Hmm. that I hadn't bothered to think I'm going to grab a book. There's hundreds of them They're staring at me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pick up a book. It just felt like maybe too much of a commitment. Mm-hmm because like, I was doing that. No- there was nothing. I was like, I'm doing nothing. Everything is rubbish. I'm miserable and I'm sulking. And the idea of having to get from the beginning of a book to the end of a book <laughs> was just too much of a commitment. Mm. And I thought, I don't, I haven't used, I haven't been using my brain. I haven't been using that sort of creative intellectual part of my brain. And I need both of those things to get through a book. I, I have to be able to imagine and Um, empathize and take in what's happening and I just thought I I can't do that right now I'm just a bit blank so I just hadn't picked up a book and then you said pick up a book and I thought well (laughs) I've got a really busy day you know it's like three more episodes I can watch but (laughs) I'll take a break and I picked up a book for the first time in ages and I read it in like a day, less than a day. Do you
0: remember and what
1: and you I, read? I can't remember what you What was the reading? first one that I read? Oh, it was Green Girl by a person whose name I forget. Fantastic. Um, but it was brilliant. <laughs> and it, I read it so quickly, and mm-hmm. I just loved it. And I loved that thing of... It was a beautiful book. But there were, like, little lines, little sentences that just sort of give your heart that moment. Mm-hmm. And having not felt that in ages, because you'd normally get it from music or playing music or... You're doing these things that I wasn't doing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten that connecting with literature
0: mm-hmm. and
1: connecting not only with the words on the page, but that emotion of yourself and having that and, and feeling your brain sort of thinking and feeling mm-hmm. was really nice. And I just lapped it up and I went through it. And I think I read like 10 books in about a week. Yeah, you, you read like, on another one.
0: <laughs> but So we finally, so we had this conversation. You started reading again. I was In the midst of reading things, I was like, here's a book to read, and I I bought you um, Burial Rites by, I want to say, Hannah Kent. I should really have written these down before we started. (laughs) And we decided to meet up, so we hadn't seen each other in person for ages, and we met up in Angel. uh, We're based in London. We went to the Oxfam... Uh, bookshop secondhand charity bookshop and I the whole plan was I was going to give you a ton of books because, <laughs> because I, I
1: hadn't been reading and you hadn't had. been reading and
0: I was like the reading <laughs> goddess so I was going to bestow all these books upon you and you didn't buy any books and how many <laughs> books did you pile into my arms like four, five? four
1: or five yeah
0: <laughs> yeah so back made me buy like five it's like have you read this have you read this have you read this piling them up and one of those was uh extremely loud and incredibly close yeah by What's Jonathan Saffer Thanks. I didn't my want to favorite, mispronounce his last name. My favorite, favorite goddess of a man. Yeah. And it took me a few weeks because I think I was reading Viv Albertine's autobiography yep. at that point. And then I was kind of like hemming and hawing. I was like, oh, do I want to read a book about 9-11? <laughs> it seems pretty dark.
1: <laughs> Told through the eyes of a child. Told through the eyes of a child. I'm like, I
0: don't like children. Am I? <laughs> I don't like
1: Terrorism. I don't I
0: don't like terrorism at all. Um and so but I finally picked it up and it was oh my god. I was just it like, just stole you back. just like
1: every two minutes she was like <laughs> equating me and I was like, I can quote that right back at yeah. you. Yeah.
0: We were just like, heavy boots, heavy boots.
1: Yeah. Um and so
0: in reading that and like having that connection where we were both talking so passionately about a book and this piece of writing and these yeah. deep feelings that you're getting from these like tiny words on a page. I I am always a, a little like entrepreneur like we need a project because we're both creative people we can't do the thing we th- thought anything. we were going to do and like we're both going really stir crazy yeah. so maybe we can do something and like listen there's a podcast studio at my work shout out Runway East and we can use it like what can we podcast about you know I've been thinking I, I want to start another podcast but I, I don't know what to do it on and then like listen we're talking about books
1: is the, the only thing in our
0: life right now. Is yeah, Brooke, literally. And like, how can we make this into a podcast? So we're trying to think of, you know, what the structure would be, what the format would be, how would this be accessible, what would people want to listen to? Because obviously, you know, you're not just going to tell the synopsis You don't want to tell the story of <laughs> it. You know, like here's
1: a book that you haven't read, and I'm going to tell you the ending. And of I'm going to spoil <laughs> it. So,
0: so what we've decided to do is. Um, do this podcast, and it's probably going to grow into itself. We're not sure exactly how it's going to work out, but we're going to try it. And we're going to, uh, I mean, first talk about, you know, books that we've chosen, each, each of us have chosen a book that um, really impacted us at some stage in our life. And then we're going to get awesome, random People from all walks of life on to talk about a book that impacted them. So it's kind of like a bizarre podcast book club where a guest will tell us what this book is and then we will go away and read said book and then the three of us will sit down in a room and discuss. So we'll talk to the reader about, you know, where their love of reading came from and why this book and what they're reading now and how they like to read. So it's a celebration of readers and reading and also of books, whether they are, you know, the classics, whether they are completely unknown, uh, whether they are, much like mine, completely critically slated and <laughs> couldn't find a single good review. Um, that was such
1: a bad day for but, me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, you know, these books that, you know, whether or not the world at large thinks they're it worth means anything, it meant it something to you. And
1: I think that that exactly that thing of I made you buy extremely loud, incredibly glace, just like someone did to me when I was 16. I was like, I don't want to read a book about 9-11 told through the eyes of a child what the hell and then I read <laughs> it and it just impacted me so much and it stuck with me and I, I haven't read it in years but I, all, every time you were quoting something at me I was like I know the next part I know yeah. that it's just stuck with me never watched the film it's the saddest thing in the world it's so bad um, but that, that thing of taking something which in essence is very solitary like being with a book and in the world of a book you know you, you might have an animal around you but you tend to be doing it by yourself yeah there's nothing better though than sharing that love with someone and being like, I love this book so much yeah. and I want to give it to you and I want you to love it or I want you to have the love that I gave and got from that book. I want you to take that. And yeah. then it turns that thing which, on the one hand, seems like a really lonely pursuit. or And when I say lonely, I don't mean lonely in, in sort of a sense of loneliness, but lonely as in just of the self, mm-hmm. and you don't need anyone else really to be involved in it with you because you're in that world and you're getting everything that you need from wherever that story takes you, the the, the friends, the family, the places, it's all there. You don't really need anyone else, but actually there's nothing quite better than saying to someone, all right, this got my heart, mm. I want it to get yours too and then let's just talk about it and sit in a bad sports bar and be like, what was your favourite line from the book? Do you have heavy boots now? Never watch the film. Well, yeah,
0: because when you, so when I was reading that, you were reading Burial Rites because you got it in the post because I secretly sent it to you. Yeah. And so you were... Talking about that book yeah. to me, and I was like, Oh my god, heck, how beautifully written is this? Like the stone under her tongue, and you know, there, like, You that said that book is dark, it is so dark. <laughs> I love a dark book. Uh, spoiler alert, the book I chose is about a, a school shooting. Um, I, 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 I love a bit of trauma and I love yeah. a bit of darkness. I was in a dark space at that time because I read Barrowheads, yeah. extremely loud, incredibly close, blindness. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh god, yeah, you were having a super dystopian nightmare times. <laughs> I'm just like let's, you know, talk about but murder I and But I think that,
1: that thing, and when I read um, the book I gave you today, Here I Am, which is another Jonathan Safran Foer, which I'd had lying around the house for ages and just hadn't got around to. Mm. And then I read it, as you do with books. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like such a stupid thing to say when it came out of my mouth. <laughs> um, but it's a really... Sad. Who am I? What am I doing? What's going on in my life? Kind of a book. Oh no. And that was exactly. And I read, and it gave me so much. And I think i remember saying to you at the end, like that was not what I was expecting it to be. But it was everything that I needed. Mm. I needed to go on that journey for myself through someone else, and then I needed to feel it back at me. Okay, so that needs to go to the top of my TBR. Like, how big is oh, that part? God,
0: it's <laughs> such a big pile <laughs> Um. So I guess like the first two episodes. So this one is all about you, Beck. Uh, and the next one it be, should be. As it should be. <laughs> For the, the kicker. Um, so I want to start by, so I guess I'm I'm interviewing you more or less. Um, I want to start by just asking you some questions about how you read. <laughs> <sighs> I suddenly feel very stressed. <laughs> They're really easy questions. Um, so when did you fall in love with reading? and or start reading for pleasure like when did it become something that wasn't forced on you at school and something that you did because you wanted to
1: um I have always been surrounded by books whether they've been read to me or Mm -hmm. um I've tried to read them myself I remember as a a kid having tiny I still have tiny hands but trying to read (laughs) (laughs) tiny hands, these massive books I would take off my father's shelf and he had lots of um, sort of original old big hardback sort of 20th century uh, original dirty stuff that was sort of covered in dust that he would <laughs> he would just like wipe off and then he'd fix the spines I used to watch him as a kid fixing the spines on old books oh, wow. and like re in the pages and everything and so I would From a very very young age, I liked the idea of reading these books, and I couldn't read them because Mm -hmm. they were like I was too young and my hands were too small. But I still used to hold them as if like I was going to read these books. So it was always something that was very just part of me. I think when I fell in love with reading and realizing that it was for me something that gave me so much um, was when I started reading poetry. In, I guess I probably would have been 13 or 14, mm. and I fell in love with poetry. It just stole my heart in so many ways. I was never a big fiction reader, and actually the first book, first fiction book that really got me was Extremely That Incredibly Place. That was really? the first time I was like, oh my God, I love fiction. Nice. Um, and then I read all of his other books and just cried a lot out of the sheer beauty on my bed. But <laughs> it was poetry that absolutely made me want to read and want to write and taught me so much about the journey the literature can take you on in a very short, simple way sometimes. And I just was like that pretentious dick at school that was walking around with Sylvia Plath <laughs> under my arm. Oh God. <laughs> so I was like, and some more from the bell um, <laughs> I jar. Ju- I just loved it. And I loved poetry from, like, the, the Bhagavad Gita is one of my favourite books, um, so I love just really ancient, old stuff that was as old as time, as they say. Um, a Thousand and One Nights, um, which she mentions in in the books that I've chosen as well. Um, Shakespeare, or just all the way through to your really crazy modernist guys that put like a letter on a page and are like, "That's it, work it out." <laughs> I just loved it. I loved that playfulness, that writing had and that you as a reader, how you can shape its story. Um, so yeah, it started with poetry for me and I was very adamantly, I don't like fiction, I'm not, I don't, no, no, I don't like characters. Oh my God, it's so boring. <laughs> I wanna want to read a poem about a fly that's fallen on a windowsill and <laughs> understand that it's a metaphor for the journey of life, Emily Dickinson. Who doesn't? Um, so I was, yeah, it was very really anti-fiction hmm. in a, a sort of, in quite a sort of wanky, pretentious way. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, shut up! Um, and then yeah, it was extremely loud, and incredibly close. And I remember so clearly reading that book and getting to the last page and falling backwards with just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? It does hit you like that. And at I the just end. felt and I just lay there sort of with my legs in the air, like a coward in a ball, just looking at my ceiling, just thinking. What what was that? And how am I feeling so many things because of three hundred pages? And it, it that got me with fiction. That completely changed me. And you so you did touch on this before, but you went to school for this. Yes. Yeah, so then I was like, Well, <laughs> I know what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life. So remind um, me what your what your degrees so are. I did my undergrad in creative writing and English literature and um, my master's in writing. So I, I just spent four years reading, essentially. Sounds like a dream. Um, which was amazing. And actually, I'll, I will mention this more when I'm we're talking about my book, because um, I remember very, very clearly reading Pride and Prejudice for the first time and being, I think, 17, 18. And I read it in a day, sat under a huge oak tree in the summer. The sun was, like, baking down on me. And it, again, because, you know pretentious teenagers, I'm not reading Jane Austen, Ugh. Um, And I picked up this book for like 50p and I was like, oh, fuck it, let's, let's see what all the fuss is about. And I'd been to her house, I'd been to the room that she wrote in, I knew so much about her, I was just very adamantly, I'm not reading Jane Austen, like, no. And I read this book, I could not put it down, I read it in a day and it was the most astonishingly brilliant thing I have ever read in my life. Um. And it was witty and funny and beautiful, and it very much sort of. And when I was in at uni, we like you know you read all the classics and everything, and I don't want to read the classics. I hate Charles Dickens, but we'll come on to that. Um, <laughs> I Meanwhile, we'll I would was like, I read Great Expectations <laughs> and I <laughs> loved it. I would. Um, I would go back, I'd get given a reading list and things and my brain would go, I don't want to read that, I don't want to read that, I don't want to read that and my mind would always go back to that moment underneath that tree reading Jane Austen when my Mm. mind was just blown and that, so I now never say no to a book because of that moment Um, so when I was doing my undergrad it was like, I think I was supposed to read like four or five books a week like it was, you know, there were a lot of books but it was the most extraordinary fun because on the one hand I was writing a lot it was creative writing and I got to just play with poetry the whole time and then I also got to explore the world and I did African literature, uh, Caribbean poetry, you know, so I was just going all over the world and I was learning so much about life and people um, through the fiction and non-fiction and, and everything in between of these books that were being put in front of me and that my pretentious young person was deciding I wasn't going to read because <laughs> and my mind was just constantly being blown. Amazing. Um, so how do you handle your books?
0: So are you like a highlighter dog ear or are you like put it in a safe book sleeve so it doesn't get abused in my handbag type of reader?
1: <laughs> um, I, as any of my friends that have come into my home and touched my books know, if you mess up a spine, you are... Out the front door i'm i you do not write in books i what I'll often do if there's something that I really love. I'll buy two copies so that I can oh, make yeah. notes mm-hmm. if I want to make notes in something um but no, I like you do not bend the spine back that just drives me mad mm-hmm. um I hate 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 dust covers so much <laughs> I just they just. Anger me. I take them off immediately and put them in the bin. Get get out. Put them in. You do not need a coat. You are a book. (laughs) (laughs) You you come in book. You do not need a wrapper. It upsets me. So we've come now to
0: the (laughs) crux. Uh, The reason we're really doing this podcast (laughs) is to pull every single guest we have and get to the bottom of
1: biggest question, our biggest
0: argument, which you can probably guess what stance is, but (laughs) hardback. Or paperback. I am one billion percent team hardback. I... I love a first edition hardback. I love a dust cover. I take it off when I'm reading it, so it stays pristine. I put it in the bin. I don't put it in the bin. <laughs> I put it on the shelf, and then I put it back on when I've done the book, and it's beautiful. and It wonderful. does
1: not need. A, it's not the middle of winter. It will be okay in the snow. It's fine. You it certainly won't need. be okay in the snow.
0: But <laughs> uh, I love a hardback. I love the weight of it. I love that it has this sense of, I mean, even you talking about your dad's old books and how they seem like, and how they seemed, uh, you know, like just uh, there's something impressive about them. They have this like presence to them. And I love that. It makes me feel really smart to have have a bunch of hardbacks on my shelf. And then when I find them in secondhand bookshops, it's like such a treasure to find like a first edition hardback of one of your favorite books. Like I found uh, a copy of High Fidelity by Nick Hornby in a bookshop in Brixton. And it was a signed hardback, and I lost
1: my shit, and it's, like, such a treasure to find. I am so trying to care for that <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, wow. That, that so romanticism cool. that you've uh, created around um, the devil weight. So why paperbacks, then? I What's your argument? picture this, right? Okay. You're on the bus. <laughs> You've got a 20-minute journey. Mm -hmm. Once you're going to have a little something to read, pull a paperback out of your bag, sit Mm -hmm. there, you're flicking through, put it back in your bag at the end of your journey, you carry on. Now imagine that same scenario with a 300-page book that weighs the same as a brick (laughs) that you can't hold in your hand, that you literally need a plinth to rest it on so you can turn the pages. You can't read that on a bus or at the dentist or walking down the street or lying on your back on your bed because it's going to fall on you and break your (laughs) nose (laughs) but i have read plants books on
0: the train and on the tube and on the bus i i just like it no all right well i mean we're not going to get to the bottom of that today (laughs) but i'm very excited to pull our listeners in future and to pull our guests on which team they sit on um because it is there are i found another paperback my friend emma (laughs) She's a paperback girl, and I was—I thought everyone was going to be on my side. So, right. you know, I'm learning. That. Do you know
1: what they're good for? Um, <laughs> we were doing some plumbing the other day, <laughs> like, and it was quite heavy to hold up the radiator. And I was thinking, you know what you need? You need like something that's sort of a few inches thick and sturdy. I'm rolling my eyes. Shoved so it right hard under. Right now. It was. It was Use brilliant. A bunch of
0: hardback books. I I won't lie to you, currently in my flat, our living room, the door to our living room doesn't stay open on its own. We are currently using, like, a plant version of the complete biography of Ernest Hemingway, (laughs) which is, like, a million pages and super giant, and we're using it as a doorstop at the moment. But that's mainly because I don't care terribly. Ernest Hemingway I'm never <laughs> going to read it it's a book my former wow. flatmates left it behind
1: I know I Ernest Charles okay I know we're just horrible
0: people <laughs> and this is where people stop listening mm-hmm. they're like oh, okay these, these girls don't care so that said so we're gonna talk about your book today so yep. let's dive into it so you have chosen um and of course Becca's chosen a book <laughs> where we are going to have a very difficult time pronouncing names. It certainly made me feel very uneducated
1: and stupid. So <laughs> That's what I that. like from a book that I give yeah. like other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> feels small and
0: useless. <laughs> <laughs> and I did and still do. Wonderful. Uh, so the book that Beck has chosen is called Reading Lolita in Tehran uh, by Azar Nafisi. It's a memoir in books. So I will um, just read the synopsis. And obviously Beck will tell us kind of more about how she feels about it and what it's about. But the official synopsis is, every Thursday morning for two years in the Islamic Republic of Iran, Azar Nafisi, a bold and inspired teacher, secretly gathered seven of her most committed female students to read forbidden Western classics. Some came from conservative and religious families. Others were progressive and secular. Some had spent time in jail. They were shy and uncomfortable at first, unaccustomed to being asked to speak their minds, but soon they removed their veils and to be- began to speak more freely. Their stories intertwining with the novels they were reading by Jane Austen, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Henry James, and Vladimir Nabokov. <laughs> God, another one. <laughs> well. um, as
1: Islamic- How good does that book sound already?
0: I Right? Well, I'm hooked. Um, as Islamic morality squad staged arbitrary raids in Tehran, As fundamentalists seized hold of the universities and a blind censor stifled artistic expression, the women in Nafisi's living room spoke not only of the books they were reading, but also about themselves, their dreams, and disappointments. Azar Nafisi's luminous masterwork gives us a rare glimpse from the inside of women's lives in revolutionary Iran. Reading Lolita in Tehran is a work of great passion and poetic beauty, a remarkable exploration of resilience in the face of tyranny, and a celebration of the liberating power of literature.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that. (laughs) That's quite a synopsis. I don't need to say anything else. And (laughs) That
0: was all. So this book has several accolades. So it spent over 117 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. It's been translated in 32 languages. Uh, it's the winner of the 2004 Nonfiction Book of the Year Award from BookSense. Uh, winner of the Frederick, Frederick W. Ness Book Award. Oh, God. Winner of the 2004 Latifa Yarchester Book Award. Uh, and it was a finalist of the 2004 Penn slash Martha Albrand Award for Memoir. So obviously you're not the only person that liked this book. <laughs> Uh, one quote that I read from Margaret Atwood, God bless, we can both agree mm-hmm. she's uh, amazing. Uh, so Margaret Atwood says of this book, "stunning, a literary life raft on Iran's fundamentalist sea." All readers should read it.
1: Ooh, that's such a good quote. Yeah, I got a little goosebumps. so. You're so right, Margaret.
0: I mean, when is Margaret Atwood not right? Let's be real.
1: Literally never. Never. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how. How did you find about this book? How did this book come into your life? Where were you? How did how did you discover it?
1: I read this book in 2008, in my second year of uni. Mm-hmm. Um, I, how did I come across this book? I was, upset. one of my favorite poets is a Persian poet whose name I will pronounce so badly. <laughs> Please do. Um, for uh, Farakzad, okay. Farakzad, not sure, genius though, so that's what Matt is. Um, Astonishing, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant poet and documentary filmmaker, um, one of my favourite people ever. And I was, I con- I had been reading her for years, by the time I, I read this book, probably about five or six years. Um, and I read an article once because I'm that geeky that if I really, really love a work, I will want to read lots of people's articles about it to sort of see what other people are thinking um and there was one article where um it mentioned that when azan afizi left iran for the first time when she was a child i think 12 or 13 she took with her three books of poetry and one of them was a work by farakzad right um And I thought, that's fun. I love her too. Uh, Who is this woman? And so I sort of delved into things and stumbled across reading Alita in Tehran. Um, And so I I started reading articles about this book and what it was about. And I was in my second year at uni and I was reading all the time. And a lot of the books that she talks about were books that I was reading um, or had read. Um, And that whole sort of idea of being at university, studying literature and learning what literature was and then how that kind of shaped your life was kind of what was happening for me day to day. Um, Lolita is also one of my favourite books ever. I read that when I was, I think, 16, 17, and I just loved it. And if you haven't read Lolita, read Lolita, but also the way that she speaks about Lolita is one of the the best understandings of that novel mm. I think I've ever um, ever read, and I appreciate it. Well, it's quite it. a divisive, yeah, novel because you you get the and the films as well. So you often get this like little minx that, um, you know, she's like a seductive <laughs> pursued or, yeah. this old man. You're like, no, no, this is just child abuse. Yeah, um, and she speaks about it and Lolita as a character in just the most perfect way. Mm-hmm. So that sort of hooked me. Everything about it hooked me, um, and I remember reading it in a really short space of time, bearing in mind I was also having to read five other books a week. But I remember (laughs) reading it in like a couple of days and just being sort of so enamoured with the poetry of it. It's so gorgeously written, as you can see from all of my post-its. It's it's just beautifully written. It kind of, in many ways, it reads like a fiction. Um, You have these characters that sort of created in front of you and you learn about their lives as you go through the book and it it has a very much a fiction feel Mm -hmm. and then it's intertwined with politics and feminism and education Um, and when I was reading it it was very much the Obama sort of about to be elected kind of a time so there was a lot happening in politics around me and it just it seemed to dip into what I was kind of living in one way but then also Completely not because I was in London in like the just the world was so completely different and yet I remember reading it thinking I too am sat trying to make sense of Jane Austen and so mm-hmm. so is this group of women in Tehran and it just seemed like such a unifying, beautifully unifying thing. And I just I just fell in love with it. And it's a book that I've read. I don't often reread books. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't know why, but I, I think maybe with some because I the the first reading has been so powerful that I almost don't want to go back. I want to right. like I want that to you be wanna, like, how I remember that, that book. I mm-hmm. want that to be what I connect with that book. But this book I've read probably three or four times, and maybe not always all the way through, but I'll dip in I love the Jane Austen section of this book. It's just fun mm-hmm. um and awful in equal measure. And she's got this amazing <laughs> way of writing in a very sort of like Here's an awful thing. Anyway, this book, and I'm like <laughs> what, which is great. And so then we were t- when we were talking about what books me might, we might want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I had sort of three or four. I think that I was playing around with like Ulysses, and I have a very deep connection. Oh God, I'm so um, glad you did. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not ready. You don't to take not have. You're not ready for that. No. Um, but also I thought so. So many of our reasons for coming and doing this and coming to literature were crappy, awful life situation. Let's pretend that doesn't exist and let's hide in books. And as much as you can talk about the politics and the feminism and all of that with this book, Mm -hmm. when you break it down, it's just crappy life shit, let's hide in a book. And then through that, let's learn who we are again. And literature, and I, I always like to call it reading Tehran in the liter because I think it's that's exactly what it does yeah um by reading these books and by going on these journeys and by discussing these books we make sense of our lives of ourselves of our relationships of our politics and we also get to hide from it all at the same time yeah um and I it's just beautifully beautifully written and the love for literature I think is is so incredibly powerful mm-hmm. um the love for it, but also the power that it has and i th- i I think sometimes it's very easy to just put books in that kind of casual hobby bit of the brain and just you know it's just I'm just reading a book mm-hmm. um but they are amazing tools and resources, and um provide such opportunity for us to grow and to understand and to exist for a moment without really having to be, which I think is sometimes something that we all need. We all need to have that ability to just be like, I can't do any of what life is asking of me to do right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the answers and I don't know what's going on and I'm just gonna go and exist in this thing for a moment because then I don't have to do any of that. But by being in that space, I will come back to a point where I can. Mm This
0: is actually reminding me of a part in the book and of something that I really wanted to read. So this is like the perfect segue into that. So there's um, a part kind of later in the book um, where she she is sitting in a cafe. Um, she is recognized by one of her former students, and you know she kind of asks what has happened. She had been to prison. Um, this student with a, another student called Razia, and unfortunately, uh, Razia had been executed. Mm-hmm. And um, so she tells Azar this, and Azar reflects on a time where she was she had given an exam. Um, she was teaching, I believe it was all women at that at that particular school, and all of the exams came back as like this kind of cookie cutter. Yeah. Um, just basically regurgitating everything she had taught them almost verbatim. So she felt like, what's the point of this? And she was so angry at her students. And she like let them know. And then Razia, the student, came back to her and and basically gave her shit. So yes, like you said, this this is kind of in the Henry James section. um, And they're speaking about uh, Henry James. And she says, there she was, this small girl, my student, lecturing me. She couldn't have been more than 20, but somehow she managed to look authoritative without being impertinent. They love this class, she said. They even learn to love Catherine Sloper, though she isn't pretty and she lacks everything they look for in a heroine. I said, in these revolutionary times, it's hardly surprising that students wouldn't care much about the trials and tribulations of a plain rich American girl at the end of the 19th century. But she protested vehemently. In these revolutionary times, she said, they care even more. I don't know why people who are better off always think that those less fortunate than themselves don't want to have the good things. They don't want to listen to good music, eat good food or read Henry James.
1: That thing of um, she does this so often and so powerfully when she describes how a student is saying I bumped into another student of yours when I was in prison and we, we were prison. chatting about the great Gatsby books, Yeah, and she describes that beautifully and then she just says no my student said you know she died and it's the most it's so casual and it's so casual and on the one hand you kind of think is she like not not giving these people these lives as much strength and worth and power as she's giving literature because she speaks about that so beautifully and and it's rich and it's deep and then she sort of almost casts people aside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what she actually does by doing that is reveals so much about the way you have to live and the way you begin to live when everything around you is chaos Mm. it's like you almost have you're constantly trying to find a full stop because you're just you can never get to the end of the sentence because life is dictating it for you and it's almost she almost does this thing of like oh and then this and then this and then this the end and it's almost like trying to find some kind of solidity within the chaos of things by allowing people to become that full stop I think it also, for me,
0: it was so jarring to read about things in that way because she is so, she's so casual about it. And and like you said, a bit almost flippant about these crazy things, like her students getting arrested, uh, firing squads, you know, people being like thrown into cars and never seen again, people not being allowed to be buried in consecrated ground because of their religious beliefs. um, And... I didn't know anything, really, about the Iranian revolution. Um, I'm definitely going to mispronounce something, but there's that graphic novel, uh, is it Persephone? Persepolis. Persepolis. Yeah. Um, that was kind of, a friend gave that to me and told me it was great, and I read it. I cried. I was like, I never thought I would read yeah. a graphic novel and cry, because I didn't know. You know, we in North America aren't taught this in school, um, and I was ignorant to it. And I think it was really striking to me how how that sort of chaos and that sort of loss and death and violence was had become so commonplace that you could talk about it in such a a cast off sort of Mm. way. Yeah. And to me that even it actually was almost more impactful because you really realized. Yeah. She's not even making a big deal about it because yeah, this, this is, is happening every, day. every single day this to is these what people, it is. Yeah. and this is not that long ago, yeah. right? Like this is what no, the the revolution was what nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. So this isn't that long ago. We're not talking about ancient history. We're talking about very recent history, and we're talking about stuff that's still happening today. And it's it was really eye opening for me and and shocking that that. So even that passage there, and that's that's very late in the book. You know, she talks about people that die left and right, um, and like family members and people just going to prison. Many of her students going to prison and coming back, and like it's so.
1: And I think one of the things which I remember when I first read this book and then reading it again jumps at me is just everyone is so strong. It's a book about strength, Mm. if nothing else. There's a um a a gorgeous bit with um also sometimes it's just really funny yes like it's just sometimes hilarious uh, there's a really funny bit not not the fat guard bit but like an, <laughs> one of my favorites but i'm going to come on to that in a minute but there's a really funny bit when um again an awful thing is happening so the the guards have burst into her flat because they're shooting at someone right. downstairs and which so you've got this sort of firing squad thing happening, which yeah. must be terrifying. Because he's hiding in their back he's garden. He's hiding in their back garden, mm-hmm. and then she says, and then we realised about the satellite dish, and we tried to cover up the satellite yeah, dish because they had a satellite dish and on, it's on their so balcony. Funny. Yeah, and she was, like, and you can kind of imagine it's almost a bit slapstick yeah. of like you have guns blaring, and then you can almost see that look on their faces of like, oh crap, the satellite dish, and then having to cover it, and. Pretend it's not there whilst this madness is going on, and then the guards leave and they're like, "Oh well, you know, let's all have coffee. We got away with that." And then a couple of months later, they come and take the, the satellite dish away. Yeah. And there's almost this slapsticky thing to it. Um And similarly, in the moment when her colleague is stopped by a guard at the university, the um, funniest part. The of funniest of the book. bit, and this this overweight gentleman. <laughs> proceeds to chase this woman across yeah. the university grounds because well, she, she refuses not got to be she refused, searched, right? She refuses to be searched, and she's not wearing a veil, and everything she's doing is wrong, and she gets chased by this guard, and the descriptions of the guard having to stop and jostle his hips to, like, get to, like, his, trousers his trousers back. back up. It's so, so funny. And then that comes... You uh, can the, totally b- imagine it with, like, do 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 you can do 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 but then that... So you're kind of laughing at that. This is really funny and you forget where you are for a moment because you're just in this funny, funny scene. And then it leads to the fact that her colleague has to quit her job or decides to quit her job because she's given a choice, comply or leave. Mm-hmm. And she chooses leave and she takes... Um, they go for lunch to celebrate and she says, I'm free. I'm, I'm free. I chose to leave. I'm free. I'm not going to live by someone else's rules. I'm free. And it's just... So full of strength and power. And all of these characters, all of these women in this book, constantly, regardless of what constraints are put on them by the society they live in, they all show such strength. Yeah. Whether it's a student who is, you know, off translating literature so that she can go to the book club, yeah. or, you know, they all sort of. The, the the scene and again another funny scene when they're having their last coffee and they want to take a picture of the funny waiter oh, and they yeah. sort of like cheekily and it's all about strength and I think one of the things that I feel I learned from this book or from reading this book was it's it's about allowing yourself to grant your own permissions in life no matter what is happening so it might be that someone is dictating your choices or someone is dictating how you can do this or how you can do that but you can still grant your own permissions, you can walk out and you can leave and you can Mm -hmm. say, you know what, I'm doing this because I'm free. And that is what they do constantly. Mm -hmm. And they do it through laughter and they do it through joy, even when anyone would be terrified and in tears. It's it's just that brilliant thing of, yeah, fine, this is life, but you know what? I still have my rights as me to do what I want to do within that. And that's so powerful. It's so extraordinarily powerful, and when you're reading it, as well, you know, me reading it at university in London in what I recall being a ridiculously warm summer. Mm. Um, just, I was just struck by that thing of, I am so, so unaware in so many ways mm. about things outside of myself. Um, which we all are, you know, like, we all have to accept sometimes before we do anything else, check your own damn privilege and then work it out from there. Um, And I'm so removed from everything in this book in so many ways. And yet at the same time, the struggles, the challenges, the loves, the learning, the growth, the the journeys that people go on are so very familiar. Mm -hmm. And I feel so connected to them. And we are just still in our own little world just having a bit of fun with Jane Austen and Mm -hmm. I love that section of the book so much when um, they talk about just having fun and Jane Austen so much fun compared to the other ones and you can just kind of play with her but actually through her playing and through that through her sort of jaunty satirical gaze at the world what is revealed is the cruelty of it in a very personal way. And actually that, through all of these characters, it's the cruelty of the very personal, which is the most, I think, powerful and the most damaging of vastly more than bombs dropping. It's the cruelties that they all go through Mm. as individuals. And we all, like, that's, that's true to life of so many people, but we can all kind of come back down and crack open The Great Gatsby and, you know, pop to 1920s (laughs) America and and examine the world uh, then from another perspective, and and maybe that alleviates some of what those qualities are. Yeah, Um, I think so much, you know, you,
0: for me at least, like, if I'm being perfectly honest, like I, I guess you don't think, you don't think you would have anything in common with someone in such a different culture it's well, we're such told a different... we don't. We're, of we're literally told we don't. And, and I... then you read something like this and you're like, oh my goodness, they're sitting around yeah. having tea, talking about boys they like. Yeah. Like they're exactly the same. Yeah, and I that may sound foolish, but it's like sometimes you need that dose of perspective.
1: Yeah. I'm so bored of not being allowed to just have that very unifying presence with people and accepting we're all kind of in it together none of us like charles dickens <laughs> and that's fine <laughs> and that is true, true. <laughs> it's true regardless where you sit in the world <laughs> there's a funny bit about this television in this book actually um but it, yeah it just struck me in that moment where a lot the way. <laughs> where that is not, my future i am not surprised <laughs> <Thanks>. um, <laughs> so i'll be there with the cake um yeah, I just I. It was something that I got from it at that time, thinking, you know, I've read so many amazing poets and plays and fiction from Africa, from the Caribbean, from you know the great Persian classics. Some of our best literature it comes from this, these parts of the world, which are not Suffolk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was trying to think of the most white plays possible. Um, <laughs> And we're all having these same issues, like you say. We're all we're all arguing over boys, or um, you know. And she asks a lot: "Do you love him? Are you in love?" I wondered if they're in love because oh, yeah, life yeah. so much dictates who or how you can love. Yeah. Um, and we can all experience these things. Yeah. You don't. You don't have these struggles because you're ABC person, and you don't have these truths because you're XYZ person. Like we all struggle. The women that go through sexual abuse and assault and domestic violence Mm -hmm. and to a point where it becomes normal is I don't think there's a woman on the planet that can't understand what it feels like to feel a physical fear or the possibility of physical fear Mm -hmm. and to be able to just hang out with your friends at the end of it and laugh I think is one of the most unifying things that any of us do and it was just it just annoyed me when I got to the end of this book and I felt even more that connectivity to difference, or I don't even like difference as a word, but the, the ability to accept the nuances that we have as people. It's not, it actually doesn't make us disparate. It, it brings us together. So, the, the famous first line of, of Jane Austen is a truth universally acknowledged that a man, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah um, <laughs> which is probably one of the most played around with lines ever. And the beginning of the Jane Austen um, section in here begins with It is a truth universally acknowledged that a Muslim man, regardless of his fortune, must be in want of a nine year old virgin wife. <laughs> and it's just funny it's funny it's brilliant it's awful it reveals so much about what is happening um and it uses one of the most famous pieces of western literature ever to do so and i just it just made me laugh and i I remember when i first read that and i remember having conversations at uni with people standing around playing around with that line and it just made me absolutely belly laugh when I read that and I was like yeah we all do that we all do that we just change the kind of man it is <laughs> but you know they might they might be a different color or from a different place or have a different accent or have a, a different kind of mullet but we all just we all just change who the man is and mm. women have been doing that since Jane Austen voted and before because she got the idea from somewhere yeah. you know we're we all just sat around trying to make sense of these useless tall fools that <laughs> don't know what they're doing or why they're there. Um, but somehow just get in concept. our way. And <laughs> 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 um, yeah, and I just, there's a few bits in this as well which are just really beautiful. I'm just going to read a couple which I just think are just, just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous um, bits of writing because I think sometimes there's so much in this book you could literally from any angle you can just purely talk about the politics you can purely talk about the characters and the individuals you can you know you can just talk about the books in a sort of really analytical way Mm -hmm. um and then sometimes it's just super 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 pretty yeah um i have many of my own bookmarks So this is actually one of the saddest paragraphs I've ever read, Great, (laughs) but it's really beautiful. Um, So this is just after there's been a protest that she sort of got involved with. A lot of the bodies are being taken to the hospital Mm -hmm. and she's just sort of got swept up in it. Um, And it's from the Great Gatsby section. As I stood there alone on the hospital grounds with people rushing around me, I had a strange experience. I felt as if my heart had been torn from my body and had landed with a thump in an empty space, a vast void that I did not know existed. I felt tired and frightened. The fear was not of bullets. They were too immediate. I was scared of some lack, as if future were receding from me. (laughs) It's... uh, And one of the reasons I love that is like we, what we were saying before, that there can be bombs falling outside and you hide yourself in in books. And we all do that on a metaphorical mm-hmm. level in some way. And this passage is saying exactly that thing. I'm not scared of the bullets. I'm not scared of the very sort of physical life things. I'm scared of losing something of myself. And I'm scared of not existing. And I'm scared of lacking in a way which i cannot grab hold of Mm -hmm. and i think that that is again a universal truth it's that that is the thing that gets us yeah that's the thing that you wake up and you're like i don't know anymore i just don't know yeah and that's 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 the frightening thing something is receding from you and you just can't get hold of it yeah you don't need bombs and bullets and you know wars and dictators to disappear or or to feel as if you have yeah yeah i actually have a
0: similar this brings me to a similar point so it's in the james section
1: the james section but as well as an extraordinary apparently i really liked the james section but it, it reveals so much of the individuals i think you learn so much about who these women really are um and it becomes less about the the books specifically and more about how those books lend themselves to revealing these people Mm -hmm. more so than the the two um sections prior yeah so
0: in the james section um she basically starts talking about when the government start passing all of these new regulations about uh what women can and cannot do Mm. what women can and cannot wear um and they, they basically, it started first in workplaces and then in shops. You know, people were forbidden to have transactions with women that weren't wearing the veil. Disobedience was punished by fines, lashes, because apparently that's a real punishment. It, it's horrifying. Um, time in jail. And, you know, they would send out these things, the morality squads. So there's like, you know, these squads roaming about the streets and driving around, like looking for people that are breaking these laws. Also, really good name for a band. The morality Squad. Yeah. Well, when we get our <laughs> when we get our hearing and voices back, we should definitely start that band. But so she talks. This part she's talking about dealing with all of this sudden like loss of her liberty and mm-hmm. you know her uh, ability to be herself or express herself in any way. And I thought she put it in a really beautiful way that ties in with the passage you just read. Um, she says, "Now that I could not call myself a teacher, a writer." now that i could not wear what i would normally wear walk in the streets to the beat of my own body shout if i wanted to or pat a male colleague on the back on the spur of the moment now that all this was illegal i felt light and fictional as if i were walking on air as if i had been written into being and then erased in one quick swipe mm. ah. i and that's another thing like you think i think we've all had these moments where you you feel invisible or you feel worthless or you feel uh, you don't know yourself and that I think just that that beautiful you know uh, obviously it ties into the literature as yeah. well just like you feel like your words on a page and you've just been erased yeah. I thought it was such a beautiful way to put she it She
1: plays with this idea of home and exile a lot um, and sometimes just in that very physical sense of Tehran, my home I don't feel connected to it at yeah. all anymore and there's yeah. some beautiful passages about that mm-hmm. um, but again I think on a more Emotional, personal level, it's that idea of: um, am I at home in myself? Am I? Do I belong here? Is this like like what? What is this? Where am I? And this idea constantly goes throughout of home and exile, and home and exile, and self and place and identity. And I think all of, even I mean, on a very basic level, the names. None of the names of the names of the dead are. Are the real are names, real names. Yeah. so everyone is a fiction, mm-hmm. it, and and we, we when you started reading it, we had this conversation about how it can be it feels sometimes a bit hard to read because you don't know if you're reading it as fiction. Sometimes you feel like you are because some of the passengers are so rich, mm-hmm. um, and she says very very early on, "Imagine us. I need you to imagine us." Yeah. So She's literally telling us to see them as characters, yeah. and so on the one hand, she writes it as this really deep poetic fiction. But at the same time, you know it isn't. And I think this idea of playing around with fiction and exile and home is, yes, on the one hand, very physical in terms of space and place, but I think more so throughout the book is about personage and self and identity and where, who who are any of us anymore? There's that beautiful bit where she takes a picture of her girls, as she calls them, yeah, and she tries, she looks back at it, when she's she's left and she almost sort of can't she's trying to connect with these shapeless faces in veils because she came to know them in, in such a such a different way mm-hmm. um, with more strength and beauty and layers and passions and you just can't see that in that image of the who and how they're supposed to be presented to the outside world image mm-hmm. that is the fiction and no one is at home there but yeah, I think that idea is, it, it threads throughout in such a beautiful way. Um, and I think it is something that we can all relate
0: to. I think just talking about what you just said about that, her looking at that photo and her not being able to see these women, there's a beautiful part right in the beginning, which is such a great, an introduction to the contrast between who they are in the street and mm-hmm. who they are when they are in Azar's living room talking about books. yeah. So it's in the very beginning. She says, For nearly two years, almost every Thursday morning, rain or shine, they came to my house, and almost every time, I could not get over the shock of seeing them shed their mandatory veils and robes and burst into color. Yeah. When my students came into that room, they took off more than their scarves and robes. Gradually, each one gained an outline and a shape, becoming her own inimitable self. Our world in that living room, with its window framing my beloved Elber's Mountains became our sanctuary, our self-contained universe, mocking the reality of black scarved, timid faces in the city that sprawled below. Just such a beautiful way to describe yeah. that and to make you, as a person and as a reader, realize these are not one-dimensional characters.
1: Yeah. A gorgeous gorgeous. Um, I feel like I could talk all day about The Great Gatsby Trial because it's one of my favorite oh, things in yes. literature. It's so fun.
0: Just for context, uh, in the Gatsby section, there's actually a part where there's a quite um, a hot-headed uh, student that <laughs> opposes a lot of what she teaches, and um, she actually kind of has a bit of fun with this and decides they, they put The Great Gatsby on trial, um, the book itself on trial, basically, I mean what are they trying to decide if if it's a valid work of literature yeah, if, if it's, it's, it's moral. worth reading if it's moral so they actually have a sort of criminal justice trial about The Great Gatsby and it is a really wonderful part of the book
1: yeah it's it's, it's beautiful and it's very funny and it's very 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 smart mm-hmm. and again what I love in this is like the people that always come out as being strong and powerful are the women yeah. um, and it's it's just beautiful but there's a a section in it where they're talking around um, morality um, and why it's a completely immoral book um, and one of the students says to your yeah, feisty young man um, that you morality becomes a fiction that you put on yourself and on others you create your own fictions by being so defined by this idea, this black and white idea of what is right and what is wrong um, and what is good and what is evil. And then you create those fictions and you put them on others. And actually, that is not moral. So what are you talking about, you absolute toadfish? <laughs> <laughs> Just annoys me. But there's there's a lovely bit here. Um, when she... Um, so as Nafisi plays the book or is the book, she's on, she's on trial mm-hmm. and she's been put on trial and she's been asked a question. You don't read Gatsby, I said, to learn whether adultery is good or bad, but to learn about how complicated issues such as adultery and fidelity and marriage are. A great novel heightens your senses and sensitivities to the complexities of life and of individuals and prevents you from the self-righteousness that sees morality and fixed formulas about good and evil. And I I just, I think that that, we all read books for lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Sometimes just to hide, sometimes just to kill some time, just because we like to let our imaginations go. Mm -hmm. Whatever our reasons for reading literature, we always are thrown back a perspective, a perceivance, a way of looking at life that allows and forces us to question um, whether we agree with something, whether we disagree with something, how we ourselves exist within those confines of, of good and bad and and, and whatever. Literature just does that. Whether or not that's why we're reading it, we might not necessarily be like, I'm going to go and have a moral conversation with myself in the pages of this book today. But you can't help that by and through being introduced to different people in different worlds in different situations or the same situation to the one that you're in right then you can't help but at the end of it or halfway through it (laughs) or every second line um (laughs) you can't help but question and explore questioning you can't help but see something that you maybe haven't thought of or seen before and the idea of going into a book exactly what she's saying here this this jumped-up little idiot with his Gatsby's Awful, he's decided that. He's just decided, my idea of right and wrong is this. This book is not doing what my idea of right and wrong is, therefore it's bad. And actually, what the book does, what all books do, is say, here is a life and a reality for these people with all its nuances and complications. Think about it.
0: On that same vein, she talks about... um She says, It is only through literature that one can put oneself in someone else's shoes and understand the other's different and contradictory sides and refrain from becoming too ruthless. Outside the sphere of literature, only one aspect of individuals is revealed. But if you understand their different dimensions, you cannot easily murder them. So it's just this idea of you can read, you know, obviously even going back to Lolita, you can read about some Mm -hmm. of like the most horrible people on the planet but you're you're reading so many different sh- sides and shapes of it that you're gaining this perspective, even if yeah. it's terrible perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even touching on, uh, we were talking last night about American Psycho or you that everyone is reading slash watching now yeah. where it's from the perspective of this horrible person yeah. but you're in that person's mind in a way you never would consider yeah. if you're just watching something on the news, oh he's a terrible person and I'm not suggesting that it makes them good in the end, it certainly doesn't but it you know you see how multifaceted yeah. a, a human can be well it doesn't
1: have to make that character good you don't no. have to get to the end of a you book can have and a... have made the bad person good what you do have to get to the end is to have learned something yeah
0: and sometimes the most compelling characters in books or in films are
1: the baddies yeah. I'm not gonna lie I love I love yeah, yeah. a villain Yeah. so because also and that she says some of the students are asking exactly that thing of why why do we like the bad guy Why do we like the bad characters? Why do we like the crappy situations? Why do we get pleasure out of the crappy situations? And on the one hand, she says, well, life is kind of shit right now. So maybe we get some sort of solace in making sense of that through other people's shit. Mm. But then also, it is about breaking those formulas and not being so black and white about things and actually allowing ourselves to see from a different perspective and a different angle and to feel from a different perspective and a different angle and to be unnerved because by being unnerved we question what the truth of our realities is for ourselves. And that that is if anyone wants to go off in a moral conquest, you've got to begin your moral conquest knowing that it is not finite. It is not everything. You are not always right because you have this superior idea. That that there is no superiority in morality, and if that's how you start it, then you fucked it up. Mm. It's it, it's just that framing of something, and so much of this book again is that framing of I have the superior morality, therefore it's like this. I'm like, but mm-hmm. if you're if you're putting that on another person in a way which forces them into loss or lacking or being erased, that that ain't moral. You've got that wrong, and that's what she constantly, with these books, all of them, every single one of them, where there is something to unnerve you. That is what she's saying. Yeah, it unnerves you. Lolita's horrendous, but be unnerved, Mm -hmm. because that is how we learn, and that is how we grow, and that is how we make sense. And there's, I just want to read this passage where she kind of says this. um, This is from the Lolita section. That room, for all of us, became a place of transgression. What a wonderland it was. Sitting around a large coffee table covered with bouquets of flowers, we moved in and out of the novels we read. Looking back, I am amazed at how much we learned without even noticing it. We were, to borrow from Navikov, to experience how the ordinary pebble of ordinary life could be transformed into a jewel through the magic eye of fiction. Ugh. Love that. It's, yeah. And I think... Correct. Correct. (laughs) And I think, like,
0: to wrap this up in a nice little bow, I think I'm so glad that you chose this as our first book. Because Uh I think it so perfectly demonstrates the whole reason we're starting this podcast, the whole reason we want to discuss books with people, because... This is the power that books and literature can have. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are. You know, they have this transformative effect and this ability to take you from one place to another and expand your mind and, and help you to grow and to discover the world around you in a very different way. And that's the whole reason we're doing this podcast is to read more books and talk to more people about the books that have... Change them. I don't know if every podcast episode is going to get this intensely philosophical. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you know, and it has room because we could just here read for a- your
1: learning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, you we're, there's going to be books like this, and then there's going to be books that are you know just a lovely Ooh. flight of fancy. We're gonna, yeah. you know, I'm sure we're gonna do some Not Narnia <laughs> adventures down the line, which. Oh, I mean that is going to get philosophical, very religious. <laughs> um, so maybe it will all be like this. But I think um, it's just this book was such a, a perfect first read because it's yeah. a bunch of women, and we, we're not only going to have female guests, but it's a bunch of people in a room discussing literature and and talking about how how they're how interacting, how it made you, and how how it makes you interact differently with mm. the world around you.
1: I I have a quote to end on which I think is getting at where you're you're coming from but um Fizi Fisi will say it better than both of us so, I'm sure she will um a novel is not an allegory I said as the period was about to come to an end it is the sensual experience of another world if you don't enter that world hold your breath with the characters and become involved in their destiny you won't be able to empathize and empathy is at the heart of the novel this is how you read a novel you inhale the experience so start breathing i just want you to remember this that is all class dismissed wow
0: <laughs> i think that's the perfect quote to end on and so good, and <laughs> as well the the perfect note to begin on yeah. this podcasting journey together yeah um so that said we i think we hope that you'll read along with us. We do know the next few books that we're going to be reading. So the the next podcast will be about my choice of book, which is a book called Hey Nostradamus by a Canadian author called Douglas Copeland. Uh, it is not nearly as uh, critically acclaimed as this book, so we'll uh, come at it from a different angle. But The I...
1: Independent liked
0: it. <laughs> the Independent liked so, it. I actually
1: read that article. They didn't. That's okay. just like, they've taken that
0: <laughs> Douglas Copeland is a national treasure. I loved it. Um, so that will be the next book we read. And then I think... After that, we will be reading A Thousand Splendid Sons um, by the Afghan-American author Khalid Hosseini. I've definitely mis- mispronounced that. Um, we, can, we are at some point just going to oh be by, like, John Smith. Well, listen, Douglas <laughs> Copeland is a Canadian author. It's set in Vancouver. Yeah. We'll be fine with that one. But uh, yeah, we're just going on a journey around the world, uh, mispronouncing tons of names. Yeah, but um, but it will be a wonderful journey nonetheless, I'm sure.
1: Literature has that amazing ability to take you everywhere without you having to get out of your chair. Oh my God, it surely does. And so we hope you will come along on
0: that journey with us. You can find us online at yowpod.com. So yowpod, which is our <laughs> totally dumb sounding name you can find um, our bookshelf with all the books that we're reading which we'll add to as we get submissions you can submit your own book um, to be a guest on the podcast we would love to have you and you don't have to be based in London it's obviously way more convenient if you are but we can dial in um, and do it um, over Zoom or over Skype so no matter where you are in the world please if you want to chat about a book that you love with us go to yapod.com and uh, submit which book you'd like to
1: read and why and that book can be anything fiction non-fiction play poetry whatever picture, it's just book. Got picture book might be hard to translate a picture book um, but hey why not yeah,
0: whatever has got your heart. Yeah. We end on an ellipses, dot, dot, dot. Until next
1: time. To be continued. To be continued. <laughs> your Own Words is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. It is recorded in London at the pitch room in Runway East. So-